listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. There's people you're going, who are all these people? Well, they're either from second service or they're from our branch in La Salle or they're from our Khmer, though most of them are at the Shaver Lake right now. And I, I was thinking as I was sitting there thinking, my goodness, I'm glad that some people were out on vacation and, and our Khmer ministry was gone because we wouldn't have enough seats for you guys. <laughs> but uh, excited for that. But, you know, we all love a good story, don't we? Uh, you know, uh, go to the movies, get a good story, uh, read a book. Uh, we love life stories. I love the stories from Hume Lake. Each one of those people who got baptized has a story about how they came to Christ, how they're growing in Christ, and these new folks. I know I was up there on Tuesday, and, and there was a decision time, and I saw a couple of uh, the kids from our church stay back and receive the Lord, and it was a really exciting day to hear their stories. But, but the greatest story is God's story, and, and the great part about that is we're part of that story. God's story is a story of, of living and enjoying uh, the reality of life lived in God's presence, enjoying love and grace and mercy and kindness and peace and, and significance and fulfillment, that, that sense of alignment in life. God created people to enjoy his presence and to bring him glory. It was the way life is supposed to be, perfect, peaceful, joyful, fulfilling, free from corruption and conflict and death and disease. Yet God's story also includes a very real consequence or result of the absence of the presence of God. There's anxiety, depression, worry, judgment, alienation, loneliness, that sense of things are just not right. God's story is an eternal story that we understand as the gospel, uh, the good news of God, who is reinstating his presence and opening up the possibility of a relationship once again to humanity. Uh, This story is contained in God's book, the Bible, a book of books, uh, songs, historical interactions, letters written over hundreds of years by many authors in all walks of life who are inspired or, or led by God the Holy Spirit, as 2 Timothy 3.16 states, God breathed into these authors. And they wrote basically four major themes. Uh, they wrote about revelation, revealing the, the nature and character of God as, as they described him from their experiences. Moses who saw God in a burning bush, uh, took off his sandals and, and spent time with him. And then he got to see the back of God. And, his, and that presence of God allowed his face to shine. He experienced a very personal interaction with God. Same with David. David saw God as this great good shepherd. The 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and God and David seemed to have this interactive, interpersonal relationship where they talked to each other. And we actually get to hear some of that when you read the book of Psalms. David is just talking for most of that to God and has that very personal aspect of being with God. David was considered a friend of God. Solomon, the the wisest man that ever lived besides Jesus, uh, he asked of God for wisdom because he knew God contained wisdom in life. And so he didn't ask for riches, but he asked for wisdom, but God gave him both. 
And he wrote about the amazing reality of God in life. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we hear of his, his working through all of life and his riches and what is the meaning of life. And he gets down to the end of that. And he says, all has been said, here it is, fear God and follow his ways, to revere God. Uh, Gideon realized that God was, was not someone who just in, empowered humanity to do his work. Gideon saw that as he teared down that army into smaller and smaller and smaller, that God could do miraculous things with a few faithful people. Now, all through Scripture, I could spend hours talking about how different people have, have viewed God and, and, and how he's been revealed through Scripture. But God has also revealed him, in himself in what has been made. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We, can only, we look at nature and we see there is an intelligent design in what is created. That it couldn't have possibly just simply happened. You know, this big boom, bang, and, and it happened. No, God purposed it to be. If you want to call Him the big bang, go ahead. He's the one who said, bang, it's made. Woo, day one, day three, day two. All of those things you can read about in the first few books of the Bible and in Genesis account. But just simply looking at even the, the enzymatic makeup of our human beings, it was, it's impossible for all of that to all of a sudden just simply come into being to do what it's supposed to do in our own human body. God intelligently put it together. And so we realize that because of what has been made, we look at this, there's some intelligent designer and the Bible explains who that is. But creation also reveals him. Or, or like I said, I was up at Hume Lake. And, and all you have to do is at night just walk out and just look up. And, and Psalm 19 just screams out, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. God put all those little stars into place. He actually knows their name and has created all the gravitational forces around them so they don't all clump together. They actually form constellations and, and, and solar systems and all of that. God put that all together. We can know about him by what is made. God's nature and character is also seen in Jesus. Because he is God. Uh, John 1.1 1, 1 claims that as well as John 1.14. Jesus himself said it in John 10.30. I and the Father are one. Not just one in purpose, but one in the same. And Jesus said that to Philip in John 14.9. Do you not know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you then say, show us the Father? See, God has revealed himself. And he wants us to know him and to live life in his presence that presence of love, like a great friendship, like a great marriage, that amazing sense of belonging, like a great family or a company or a team. Yet these authors of the Bible also had to record the unfortunate reality of the separation of humanity and God. See, though God created this wonderful world and, and, and designed us to be in, in, in that presence with him, man fell and you can read that in Genesis chapter 3 about how man chose to go his own way and that sin separated God from man. Now God's presence has become separate from the creation and from humanity. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 59, verse 2, puts it this way. But your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. All creation, including humanity, lost the presence of God and fell into the bondage of sin. And evil forces of darkness were unleashed to do their destructive damage. That's why everything suffers. This fall 
from this fall and continues to fall apart. Our physical bodies, society, relationships, marriages, governments, economies, and even our desire to do right and to live right. Sin is corrosive, it's corruptive, and it's caustic. And if the story ended here, it would be a great tragedy. But it doesn't end there. <laughs> it doesn't end there. For God's story, the, uh, these inspired authors wrote about God's plan of redemption that would come through a Messiah, a, a Savior. Isaiah describes this, uh, him as wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, God provided a way of salvation and deliver us from this bondage of sin that restores life in his presence. Redemption would come through Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, fully God, squeezing himself into the tiniest of a man, as Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11 say. But he was born of a virgin named Mary, but yet still God. Because Jesus is God, he has the power to save. Because Jesus is human, He can be that perfect sacrifice for our sins and take the punishment in our place for the penalty of sin. He is our Redeemer. He's redeemed us from that caustic fall of mankind and sin. Isaiah 53, 5 says, By His wounds we are healed. Uh, Him going to the cross, He paid the penalty for our sin as He was beaten, scourged, and then eventually nailed to a cross and killed. Romans 4, 25 says, He was delivered to die for our sins, raised for our justification. His death and resurrection were justification for our sins. In other words, he was the payment for our sin. That when we believe in him, we're set free from the bondage of sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says his death is enough. You don't need to add to it or try to be religious and try to add to that, try to earn your salvation. There's actually no way we can earn that. We need a savior. That's why Jesus came and his death was enough. And as John 4.10 says... He is that atoning sacrifice, that propitiation for our sin. He died in our place. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and he is alive today. And we gain a great deal because Jesus rose from the dead. It is the greatest truth and benefit of our faith. Proof positive that we can live in the presence of God and enjoy the benefits and blessings of that experience. See, Jesus' death and resurrection affords us the opportunity for this fourth theme of the Bible, restoration. Restoration of life in the presence of God. And all through the Bible, the authors have proclaimed that Jesus saves. Now we can be restored to to live life in God's presence, in God's story, by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as 2 Peter 3.18 talks about. We grow. we, We mature. We uh, become what uh, Colossians one twenty eight says, complete in Christ. In other words, that maturity that develops in us of, of, of knowing our Savior. And when that happens, there's evidence of that growth. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, tell us what those qualities are, those of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This resurrection of Jesus will also include the final judgment of the world destroying of evil and the releasing of Jesus' rightful wrath upon the forces of darkness and reversing those deadly effects of sin. The book of the Revelation, a lot of it talks about that, especially in chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. They testify to that. And once sin is eradicated in this end, those who believe will have complete joy and that experience that wonderful intimacy and adventure 
of the unencumbered presence of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, for all of eternity. But the question comes, what about now? How do we live in God's story today? How do we grow in maturity to be that complete in Christ? And how do we produce that good fruit of the Spirit that, that even though we're planted in a, in a harsh climate of sin, squalor, and debauchery, and, de- and degradation? The answer is to keep our focus on Jesus. Uh, Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to us as well. His kingdom refers to God's kingdom where Jesus sits on the throne as, as Lord and Master and Sovereign King. And it's for us to choose, each of us individually to choose, to give over that control as a rule of our life to Jesus. To see Him as our highest affection and to live life His way, to be Christ-centered. This past year, we've been focusing on just that, of being Christ-centered, learning and how to and, and what it takes to have Christ to be in that center of our, our lives, to be the highest point of our affections. And as we spend time this morning, we're going to hear stories of, of how God has, has done that, how that has been worked out in people's lives, and, and hear their story. And you have a story. You have a story in your own life of, of where you're at with God and where He is in your own life. And my encouragement or my challenge to you is to listen to the story. And maybe even this morning, take a little step closer to God in that. And later on, Justin and I, Pastor Justin and I, will be sharing the primary method that Jesus set up for us to grow in our faith and to better experience the presence of God in our life. And so I'm glad that you chose to be here this morning and the time that we're going to share together. And we want you to hear some of the great testimonies of baptism. And so, Pastor Ron, come up and share with us some of these people who are going to be baptized and tell us a little about baptism. Wave your hand and the ushers will be happy to let you put a uh, loaner in your hand. encourage you to uh, leave it there when you're done this morning. But I also encourage you to take out your worship folder. Uh, if you didn't turn in your card, you can do it later, but open it up to the notes section. Uh, we're excited to share with you just some of the great things that God's doing uh, in, in and through our church and, and the exciting things that are happening there, but also we want to dig into God's Word this morning. I do want to also mention that uh, uh, when Danny was uh, sharing up here, Danny's one of our elders as well, and he said, you know, I forgot to mention two girls, and they're really important to me. Allura, who was up here singing in there, she was also one of the babysitters, and so is uh, Allison Baldwin, and I think she's homesick today. But, but uh, I'm excited for those two kids as well, as helping out in the small group, and the small group's a wonderful ministry uh, to move forward in, and, and so I encourage you to be involved in that. So got your notes out, your Bible's ready to help us to, to on this endeavor to thrive spiritually. And isn't it great to see these stories? Man, I, 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 Ron, I was, I was in tears too. I just said, man, praise God for this church. Uh, God has us here to change the landscape of heaven. And there are people who will be going to heaven because of your faithfulness. That's awesome. And to see people grow in their faith and what a story to be involved in. And and he wants us to be involved in that story, and he wants us to thrive in that story, and, and, and to help us to, to, to thrive and to grow spiritually, experiencing and enjoying God's presence. Jesus installed a, a primary method found in a unique relationship we're to have with each other. It's uh, to have a connection, uh, a bond, and you, you felt that up here already, and Vicky's testimony and, and others that have shared about this, this one another all through Scripture. As uh, John 13, 34, and 35 says, we're to love one another. 
As Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, we're to spur one another on to love and to good deeds and to admonish one another, as Colossians 3.16 says, to, to bear one another's burdens. Uh, um, as we're just sharing up here the different things that are going on and, and to bear one of the churches as Galatians 6 2 said this, this one another relationship has a name it's called discipleship discipleship is an interactive connection between fellow Christians that cause one another to thrive as followers of Christ Jesus commanded us to be part of this life-giving relationship Pastor Ron mentioned this verse in Matthew 28 19 and 20 therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, Jesus says, and, and surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. Well, the Apostle Paul repeated that in his way when he was encouraging his young disciple, Timothy, and he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he said, in, in these things, Paul says, you have heard, Timothy, say, me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Uh, discipleship is not a program, but a relationship to aid our growth and understanding of God and to better experience His presence in our life. Uh, discipleship is deliberate relationships to help us continue living God's story, basking in His presence as fully engaged, devoted followers of Jesus centered on Him. We know that we are better together. And thrive as believers as we become more discipleship intensive. And so this morning, in this brief time, uh, uh, we'd like to learn, like Timothy learned, as we sit under Paul's teaching found in our text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, giving us four keys to life in God's story, being discipleship-oriented, discipleship-intensive. So if you wouldn't mind setting your Bible aside for a second and just stand up, get that blood flowing a little bit. We only have another three hours together, so it, it is a longer service. We try to warn you ahead of time. <laughs> but uh, great, great things happening, and we're going to be having those baptisms at the end uh, of our time and a very, very, very short business thing in the middle in just a moment. But um, I'm glad that you're here. God wanted you to witness this and see this and, and be part of this, and he also has something for you in his word. So let's pray to that, that end. Father, thank you for the joy it is to, to open your word this life-giving, life-breathing word that speaks to us. And Holy Spirit, help us to understand what you want us to gain out of this even today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and uh, keep your notes handy. And uh, four keys to life in God's story. The first key is to release the strength of Jesus. Let's look at this, our text for today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, then you, uh, then, you then, Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To be strong in means to be bolstered up, to get healthier, to become more, more understanding and utilizing the power of Christ in you. See, when you came to faith in Jesus, and if you've come to that place where you believe in Jesus, like all these ones that are being baptized have come to that place where they received Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to live with you. Uh, to be your coach, to be your guide, to, 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 to whisper into your ear saying, hey, maybe don't do that. <laughs> or hey, maybe do that. And he's, he's there with you, constantly living in his presence is now with you. And it's really the power of, it's really Christ's presence in you and we need to let that power out. We're to grow in that power and to use it for life. It's kind of like a talent. 
uh, you know, you have a musical ability. It's, it's working that musical ability to get it out or, or maybe that, uh, that craft that you have. And as you learn uh, and others help you learn and grow, you put it into practice. Like some of you are really good at cooking. And so you work at that thing and you, you make something wonderful and we all enjoy it together. It's that idea. And so it is with the presence of Christ in us. First John 4, 4 puts it this way. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. If you read the context of that, it's talking about all the issues and difficulties and even the enemy that we are to overcome. Because the one who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit who's God's place in us when you come to believe, the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. See, the power of Christ is in you. So let the power of Christ out. We are to release it, to be strong. And how we release it is to learn of Jesus and how to gain, from, as we gain from his, the revelation that we talked about and the redemption that's mentioned in Scripture, and to know what that means. Write down somewhere in your notes, Ephesians chapter 6, verses about uh, 10 to 18. It tells us how to put on the full armor of God. Let, let me just read to you Ephesians 6, 10 to 11. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That armor of God, they talked about is the helmet of salvation, knowing that when you come to Christ, you are saved. That breastplate of righteousness, that we are covered with Christ and his righteousness there, that we have uh, uh, covered our feet, shod our feet with the truth of the word of God. As we put on these, it lets the spirit out and we have ability to stand against the devil's schemes. And then it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the the word of God, that we understand that so that we know when, when something happens, we can look to the Bible and it says, okay, here's what to do. And that's how we let the, the power of Christ out. So we're to be strong in the grace in Christ. Now, if you look in the, in the Greek of the original language this is written in, and you, you, you study the tense of that word to be strong, it's a word that's it's really written in a command form that, that it never ends. And all, in a command form, it also never ends. In other words, we're to keep being strong. And what helps in that is disciple-type relationships. So we're to be strong in the Lord. This next uh, key in, in being discipleship intensive is, means to also to initiate relationships. Look at verse 2. I read it before. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to reliable people who will be able to be qualified to teach others. See, Paul initiated a relationship with Timothy. Timothy. And so part of, of being discipleship intensive is that we initiate relationships. So Paul initiated a relationship with Timothy. And now Timmy, Timothy is to initiate relationships with reliable or qualified people who will be able to be able to initiate relationships with others. We are to have people investing into us and we are to be investing into others. It, see, it's not just a receiving thing. It's not just, oh, I got to get discipled. I've got to have a relationship with somebody who can help me in my faith. It's not just that. We have to go and then disciple others or mentor others. The idea is that we're supposed to be linked together, having someone linked to us and us linked to another person so that we can be sharing that. That's discipleship. It's a receiving and giving thing. We need that for protection. Write down in your notes, Ecclesiastes, just ECC for short. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 8 to 12. It talks about how two are better than one. It explains that, that we can be protected against each other, it, but also it keeps us humble. When we're in a relationship of someone who knows more about faith than we are and we're learning from them and someone who we need to teach, it, it humbles us. And humility is a key factor in faith. If you're not humble, it means you're proud, you can't learn because you think you got it all. I got this all wired. <laughs> I don't need to learn anything. See, humility is so important in this relationship. This discipleship relationship helps us to be humble. Not only that, it keeps us fresh. You know, 
if all you do is spend time with yourself and you th- then you begin to start realizing, hey, my ideas are the best ones out there. <laughs> and you need someone else to look at you and go, are you nuts? <laughs> so many times I've had friends who say, oh, Mike, I got this great idea. And I look at them and go, are you kidding me? Or I'll say to my friends, man, I got this great idea. So then, and the staff will go, Mike, are you nuts? <laughs> Yes, I am. (laughs) But it keeps us fresh and we gain from those that we look up to and those that we're looking up to us. And we gain from that and we learn from those all around us. It keeps us stretching. We have to answer a question when someone asks us, how do you deal with, uh, why would God allow certain things to happen? And, And someone comes to you asking that question. It stretches your faith. You have to go search through scriptures and deal with it or or, or all of that. And not not only that, it helps you to pray more. I had a... um, uh, a mentor that I have, uh, his name is Carlos. Uh, Carlos taught me uh, so much about missions. Uh, he really influenced my life. He's actually the one who uh, uh, shamed me into running a marathon one time. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I did it, but it, it, but it, it uh, uh, I learned a lot from Carlos. And Carlos sent me a, a, an email this last week with a challenge to pray. Uh, there's a, uh, some of you have seen this. Anne Graham Lotz has done this prayer called 777, challenging people to uh, pray the first few days of July, the first seven days of July, uh, and pray every one of those days. And on the last day, the seventh day, fast for seven hours whenever you want to, and pray uh, for our nation. Uh, pray for our churches. Uh, and, and, and so he sent me this. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, and I want to give it to you. So at the end of the service, you can pick up this uh, little thing. And, and if you want to know about it, just Google Anne Graham Lott's Urgent Prayer. And, and you should do that anyways because it then connects you and you can have a prayer sent to you every day that you can pray that. And just, it's a challenge to, that, that the Father would restrain and protect his, 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 his followers and, and that, that evil would be pushed away from our world and that the Son of God would be exalted and magnified and glorified in our churches and our life and that the Holy Spirit would fall afresh on us. Great things to pray about. But I, I learned that because I have a mentor. Uh, he's one of many, but one I listen to. And, and he put that, and, and now I want to challenge you with the same thing. But we gain from those mentors. We gain things like prayer and, and, and how to get into God's word and be challenged from God's word. We gain a lot from this relationship, from those who we are mentoring and those who mentor us, that discipling relationships. And so initiate that. And so I want to help. So I want you, I want you to stand up. Everybody stand up. Just stand up. And so this first row, I want you to turn and face the second row. Okay. Turn and, face. and then the third row, you turn and face the fourth row. And the, the, the fifth row, turn and face the sixth row. And, and, and so forth and so on. You guys catch the drill. Come on. You know, I don't need to mention. You just turn around and, and face somebody in front of you. If you're at the back and, you, and you're facing the wall, face each other in there. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to do a little speed dating thing. So, uh, but it's not really dating. It's kind of speed discipleship. So I want you just to simply ask the person their name of the person that's right across from you. And you guys have to figure it out. You're intelligent. I know that. I, I was told that you are. And, uh, and, and ask the person their name. Find out uh, some about their hobbies. Uh, find out what their favorite Bible character is if they have one. Their favorite vacation spot. Something they dream about. Just spend about two minutes doing that. And then return the favor. I love it. Maybe 
maybe even find out where they work. Okay, just take about 30 more seconds. Okay, why don't you guys turn back around, have a seat. I knew this would be hard, but... <laughs> Especially with this church. Everybody likes to chat, chat, chit-chat. What's that? I know. <laughs> you may have just met your mentor or your disciple. I just want to help you out there. It takes the initiative to do so. And it doesn't mean it always has to be an individual one-on-one thing. Sure, one-on-one is awesome, but group is good too. That's why we encourage small groups is that mentoring relationship that we talked about just a little while ago. And it doesn't have to be just one-on-one. And it doesn't have to be just our family. Yes, we will disciple our kids and our relatives and our family. But we need sometimes another perspective. That's why we send our kids to camp. Uh, to give them a different perspective and, and someone else speaking into our lives and we don't let the parents usually come with us. <laughs> we leave you back here so our kids can hear from another adult that's saying basically the same thing you've said all your life. <laughs> but sometimes it's heard better that way. And so we need to sometimes go outside of our family circle, but we need, and we need others' input. And yes, yeah, sometimes that, that, that builds in a little friction, but a little friction is good. Write down Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. Some of you know what that is. You know what that is? Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know what happens when two knives get together and they, 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 you, that's how you sharpen You, you know what, the, so what sharpens it? It's the friction. It, it's the intense, and sometimes even sparks fly. And in discipling relationships, sometimes sparks fly. <laughs> Sometimes you need to have a little, ah, oh, I love you in the Lord. And, yeah! and, and, and we have those interactive conflicts. Conflicts are good. They're meant, I mean, ask anybody who's married. <laughs> it's wonderful to work through it because mm, the makeup is so fun. <laughs> but it's okay to have conflict in a relationship. That's how we grow. That's how we're stretched. But the truth is, how do we fit this in? How do we fit discipleship in? Um, the challenge is to live life with them. You have to eat. So do a lunch meeting, a, a dinner meeting. It's good to exercise, so maybe take your disciple or discipler w- with you to exercise. Run errands together. A, a few hours every so often in these relationships really help. But once you get into this, you will make time. So take the initiative. Go and seek people. Don't, don't worry if people say no right at first and you like, oh, I'm going to get discipled by so-and-so and I want them to meet with me and they say, no, I'm too busy. Don't take it as a personal affront. God is in that. But just seek out others and, and get involved in a small group and, and God is in the connection. Trust the Tim to work it out and, and don't stop. We need someone to keep track of us and we need to keep track of someone else. You know, as, a, as a youth pastor, uh, uh, long ago, when we would take international trips, uh, I would have all the students circle up, and they had the link arms. You know, everybody had uh, someone on their right and someone on their left, and one big circle. Even though we had like a hundred kids, we would still do it. And whether it was in an airport or whether it was outside the airport or, or in a bus station, we'd all we'd all link arms, and then we'd say, "Okay, 
Remember who's on your right and who's on your left. You're in charge of them. If they're supposed to be somewhere, the first person I'm going to ask is, where's your person on your right and left? And they are, no, you know, when we get in the plane, I, I said to some students, okay, Devin, where's your guys? Oh, they're over there and they're over there because we need someone to keep track of us and someone for us to keep track of. It's supposed to be that way. The question is, who are you linked with? Who's looking after you? Who are you looking after? Initiate those relationships. Justin, come up and tell us some of the cost of discipleship. All right. I have to go around because if I try and jump, I did that exercising thing and no one would want to exercise with me. I'm not pleasant. It's not fun. Um, So uh, I suppose I need discipling when I'm exercising as opposed to being a discipler. We're talking just a minute about paying the price. Um, And we may be thinking at this point, this sounds great, but I'm just not sure I'm up to this. Um, And I, I got a couple thoughts to encourage you in that. First one is you're not which is why we need Jesus' strength. Just, just very clearly. That's why, why Mike covered that to start with. And the second is that Timothy may have thought the same thing, which is why it, Paul is challenging his protege to bear up under the suffering, under suffering for the gospel. So you're not the first to maybe be intimidated by this idea of, hey, God is calling me to discipleship. Because there's a particular intensity to this passage. Paul, if you look in chapter 1, he's been ditched by other associates. Only one person stuck with him in in the previous chapter. And he wants to make sure Timothy is ready for the inevitable storm that comes when you take Jesus seriously. And so, he makes it clear in our next verse what that looks like, that there's this spiritual battle going on. So let's look at verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So, so we need to be ready, if we, we want to be discipleship intensive, be ready to pay the price. So we're going to see three really rich images here in my time with you this morning. They all have one thing in common, that is sacrifice. It's, it's counting the cost is the word, the, the, the term Jesus used. We're going to talk about paying the price this morning. So the first thing, the first price to pay is the price of focus. The price of focus. We've already seen Paul tell Timothy to be a soldier. Well, what kind of soldier? Look in verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So the price to be paid here is a clarity, a focus. The soldier who's on patrol doesn't have the luxury of watching the World Cup all day. Or, or, or chit-chatting about Hollywood gossip. He needs to stay focused. Has anyone noticed our world is crazy right now? It, it, it's insane, and it doesn't show signs of stopping. And so the life of the soldier, the life of his fellow soldiers, and even the lives of numerous civilians are dependent upon the soldier being focused for, for, for what they're called to do. They don't have time for distraction. Now, I think distraction is a huge barrier to discipleship because as Mike talked about linking arms with someone, some of us, the first thing we thought of was, I just don't got time. I I just, there's no way I can do this. It's just not an option for me. I might have to give up something I really like to make space. So so I I don't know what it is because the fact of the matter is there is a cost here. And what we're being called to here might mean we have to give up something we like to do something maybe a little more significant with our lives. Whether that's adding a discipleship relationship to our life, something that is more, or it could be just transforming some of those relationships that are already in our life and adding more focus to them so that they can be more transformative for the sake of the gospel. I might have to change. 
I might have to exchange. I might have to pay a price. I might have to give up a little bit of frivolity in my life for that deeper relationship and that deeper joy that could be transforming. Are we willing to pay the price of focus? If we are, the rewards are glorious. We live a life pleasing to Jesus, our commanding officer. But there's a cost. And that's not the only price to be paid. Good news, there's more. So we pay the price of focus. The next one, we pay the price of faithfulness. Verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So this one seems a little different from the last one, kind of a strange image, but the basic idea is that athletes to succeed need to play by the rules. It's not just about crossing the finish line, but it's about obeying the rules in the process. You can ask those who have had medals or championships revoked because it was found they cheated later. Um, There's a faithfulness to the spirit of the game, not just winning. See, when it comes to discipleship, people, we aren't just widgets. You know, as we're looking forward to this year of discipleship, it's going to be easy to say, what techniques can we use? What are the mechanics of discipleship? And mechanics are important. What am I doing here? I'm not moving. Are we good? We're good. Okay. All right. Um, So mechanics are important. We need structure, absolutely. But they're nothing if our character undermines our theology or our knowledge. The ends don't justify the means. Now, we all know this. We've seen this where, where there's great leaders that God uses in tremendous ways, and then they do great things, and then there's this some huge moral flame out that happens. And, and so for whatever reason, God chooses to use that, but the damage is tremendous when that happens. So in our discipleship, we need to pay the price of faithfulness, not just focus, but both. And we think, I'm out because I know me. I know my failings. I know where I fall short. So certainly I'm not fit for the job because I can't pass this on. Um, I I took heart from a speaker back when I was at Talbot a long time ago. Um, And it's Alistair Begg. Maybe you've heard him on the radio, Scottish guy. So, um, you know, when you hear Scottish guys on the radio, you just stop and listen for a little while at least. Um, But but we were there, and he was just talking to a bunch of us, and a lot of us are young guys getting ready to go into ministry, knowing that we're going to be somehow trying to lead people who are far more spiritually mature than us. And the quote he said has stuck with me. He said, if you're going to lead, you need not be far, but you must be growing. The idea is that, that we need to be pointed the right direction. So if you have what Mike already touched on, if you have a humble heart, you are in a place to disciple someone. Because if you can transfer that, as my kids are growing up and they're going to be, my, my oldest daughter's going to be in middle school or any of these people who are pouring into my kids, I don't expect them to be perfect. But if they can transfer a humble heart to my kids, a heart of repentance, a heart that shows that, that yeah, I mess up, but I really love Jesus, that's faithfulness. So, so we're all flawed vessels. Um, but if we live in God's love and we can transmit that, we'll be fulfilling the law of love as we run this race for God's glory. So soldiers are focused. Athletes are faithful. Both images, they kind of have this element of, of glory to them, right? Um, they're heroic. And, and that intimidates some of us as well. Because we think, I'm not heroic. I'm just this normal guy. And um, I found a great quote Uh, from Helen Keller when I was preparing for the work series, and I didn't find a place to put it in there, so I'm going to jam it into this one because it's that good. Um, Here's what she says. I long to accomplish great and noble tasks, but it is my chief duty to accomplish humble tasks 
as though they were great and noble. This is the part I love. The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. That, that discipleship doesn't first and foremost happen up here. It doesn't happen in, in, in under a spotlight. It's all of us with those little steps of faithfulness pulling each other along to be more like Jesus. We need to pay the price of faithfulness. One more. Uh, there's no spotlight or monuments for this last one, though, and it's the farmer. And the farmer reveals one more vital aspect of discipleship. So finally, pay the price of hard work. Hard work. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. I, I don't, well, maybe it's just our, our location here, but I, I don't know that a lot of children daydream about farming. If they do, they likely don't know anything about farming, or it's the only thing they know, but it's really hard, I imagine. Um, and, and I think this, this warning is important for us in, in a culture where we feel like a lot is entitled, that, that the world owes us something. We think things should come easy because so often they do, and transformation just doesn't work that way. But if we're going to see life change, we need to work hard. If we want to see change, we need to live differently. And it's clear that the farmer will receive a reward, and that reward is a life of fullness in Jesus. Paul himself says he works hard for the gospel. See, now, I need to be very clear here, because our work doesn't justify us. That was the whole conversation about baptism, is that this doesn't save us. It's a recognition of what God has already done. The same thing about how we work and we invest in others in discipleship. But the fact of the matter is, when we work, it's a sign that his spirit is at work in us, and we're expending ourselves for the sake of others. And, we, and then he's going to use that. And we see how that works actually in verse 7. He says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So Paul's saying, hey, think about what I've said, and then God's going to give you insight. So notice what's happening there. He's saying reflect, think, be active, engage yourself, and then God will give you understanding. So it's not the two extremes. It's not sit back on your, and, and you know, watch TV, kick back on the couch, and hope that God's going to zap you with what you need. But it's also not, hey, work, because it all depends on you. It's this tension that we live in where, where it's our responsibility and it's divine providence and intervention. And that's how God changes us in discipleship. We work, empowered by the Spirit, absolutely, but we work, and then God transforms So it's nothing we take credit for, but it's also not something we're passive about. And imagine, in line with that Helen Keller quote, if all of us were committed to those, just those tiny pushes, that if each of us said, I'm going to do my part to help someone else become more like Jesus and ask them to speak into my life so that I can do the same, it's going to be tremendous. But if we do that, there's a price to pay, a focus, a faithfulness, and hard work. So Mike, would you wrap us up here? It does take effort. It does take some energy to, to get involved in discipling relationships, but it's so worth it. You will grow. You will experience the presence of God in deeper and more amazing ways. I know that some of the guys up at camp, I, I heard that there were just that sense of we want to be together. And I know I had that experience when I was up at camp as well, just that intensity of the relationships because we'd invested some time together and looking forward to that because we were feeling that engaging in the power of the resurrection, which is this last point uh, of, of key of living in God's story, being disciples of intended, is to gauge the power of the resurrection. Look back at our text. 
last few verses. Verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus, Paul says to Timothy, raised from the dead, descendant of David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being in chains like a criminal, but God's word is not changed, is not chained. Uh, We are to remember Jesus rose from the dead. It is the highest, most important reality of our faith. Jesus rose from the dead. He's not dead. He's very much alive. Because 1 Corinthians 15 is very clear and talks about that. You can write that down. Look at it later. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, that if there is no resurrection, Jesus is a liar. The, the Bible is trash. We're stuck in our sins and life is hopeless. But Jesus did rise. He is alive. The Bible is true. All of it. Even the maps. They're all true. And those who believe are saved and can experience the power of God's presence right now. The way life was meant to be lived. Man, I could talk for hours about all we received because Jesus rose from the dead. But let me just give you a few. And you can write down the verses. They'll be up on the screen. But let me just give you a few of them. And we'll be going through these as time goes on this year. But <clears throat> because Jesus rose from the dead, we have eternal life. As John 11 verses 25 through 27 talks about that we can now know that when we die in this life, we'll be transformed to be in heaven. And that's a truth that we can count on because Jesus rose from the dead. We will rise too and be entered into eternal life. Not only that, because Jesus rose from the dead, we gain healing now and in the future, as Acts 4.10 talks about. We also gain forgiveness of our sins now because Jesus rose from the dead. He said that's what he did. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the penalty. So it now no longer has mastery over us. We're no longer under that corruption of the world as Acts 13, 37 and 38 talk about in 1 Corinthians 15 and 7. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we now have a new way of life. Life is transformed. We don't have to be stuck in a rut of life, of what life gives to us, or the the life God or the life someone dealt to us. We have a new way of living according to Christ. And because of his resurrection, we know that's true. Because Christ rose from the dead, we now can be fruitful in life. As Romans 7 4 says, delivered from self indulgence, as 1 Corinthians 15 32 says. And there is hope in difficult times. You, know, you think you have problems, and, and we do. We have struggles in life. But look to the, to the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus can get, walk out of the tomb, there's nothing he can't do. And he can certainly help you. Uh, that's Christ. We need to listen uh, to, the, to the power of that and understand it and engage that and believe in that. I, I love what Paul says. Take your Bible and flip over to the book of Ephesians. It's just a, a few books back from where you were. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Look at the book of uh, Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 18. Paul makes this same plea to the Ephesian believers when he says this, verse 18. I pray, and he says the same thing to us. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparable great power for all who believe. Here's the power. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Kind of, woo, gives you kind of chills. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in each one of us. That same resurrection, amazing power is right there for us to use. Not that we're going to have some kind of woo, you know, get like that shot up there, the person pushing back the person in, in the... In the, in the um, you know, moving them back in the picture there, but uh, the power to live life to its fullest. 
And the way to fan the flame is to be involved in a discipling relationship. So connect. See, we so easily forget. Church is great, but what we need more is that individual time, that time when you are gathering together with other believers. So connect, be involved in discipleship. See, we're part of God's story. So learn from his revelation. Know that we all suffer from that separation. And yet know there is redemption. And we get to choose what side of the restoration we'll be on. Either the side that is of God's grace and mercy in his presence or the side of his wrath and judgment. It's really our choice. That's the the, uh, beauty of free will, I guess. I hope that you choose the part of God's grace and mercy. And to best grow in faith and enjoy God's presence, God set an amazing climate of discipleship before us, an interactive connection between fellow Christians that cause one another to thrive as followers of Jesus. As we release the strength in Jesus, as we initiate relationships, pay the price, and engage the power of the resurrection. Our hope and our prayer is that this year, as we focus in on being discipleship intensive, is that is that you will link up with others. So, so I have these little these little links. I almost thought they were going to join them all. I was going to just pull one out, and then they, some of the band decided to put them together. Uh, and, and I have these available for you as a reminder. I want to encourage you to take one of these, put it somewhere, remind yourself, I need to link up with somebody. And the, uh, the ushers will have them at the end. You can come grab somebody here. If they're connected, just take one off and be it as a reminder that I need to connect with somebody because, you know, it's that chain that, that keeps us together. We need to be connected uh, so that we have that, that, that connection together in the Lord. You know, a school of fish runs in a school because, and they, they stay connected, it helps protect them from the evil, dark things of the world, uh, of their ocean world. We need that connection together. Uh, and God intended us, Christ intended us to be together. I know some of you, it, it's easy for you to be alone and to be that lone wolf. You're that introvert that loves, you know, only certain relationships, but you still need to be connected Others of you, we, you want to have a zillion people connected to you because you're that extrovert and love to have tons of relationships. Great. Uh, whatever God has designed you to be, you be that. But God has designed us to be connected. And our hope and prayer is that this year that you will take up the challenge. Get involved in those discipling relationships. Open yourself up to someone who you can learn from. And, and then for you to teach others. Uh, we need that connection, church. Will you pray with me? Father, as we... Uh, uh, just think about this, our church and what you've done this year and we're so excited and, and just so thankful for the way that you have blessed us as we've sought to, to live that Christ-centered life and, and uh, um, Lord, help us as we continue to now focus on our discipleship and, and being more discipleship intensive. Lord, help us to, to, to live it your way and to be able to follow you as we uh, <clears throat> seek to, to live out the truth of, of this challenge that, that Paul has set before us and and help us to, uh, to grow in that understanding of your presence. Help us to um, grow deeper in our own relationship with you. And Lord, this time next year, may we see a discipler and disciplee uh, coming forward and, and seeing baptisms happen and, and things being shared. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.